in my head is just like is just like the fucking bubble bobble music like all the time and it's because <laughs> i've been gamer brained gamer like, brain. so it's just like in my head it's just like let's go over and over again that's like, true we're um it, like we're not bimbos but like it's the gamer version we're gimbos you know <laughs> Gimbo feels like it could be a slur, like an old timey slur. I was just about to say that, like that's got to be like an insult for like a Welsh person. Yeah, or something. I, I would like to apologize to the people of Wales. Um, I have, you know, I have many Welsh friends. I've always supported Welsh <laughs> independence. Anger, sexual lust. The sorts of things that you experience when you're playing a video game. All these concepts originated with Karl Marx. What's up, gamers? Uh, it's it's me. It's K. You know me. You're What's listening up? to yeah. Gamers. You're listening to. Yeah, what you fucking gamer? That's right. You may have guessed. You're listening to Agab. All gamers are bastards. I am joined by my extremely normal co-host Kyle. How you doing, Kyle? Oh, well, I mean, as as evidenced by the past few episodes um, that people have heard, I can't even answer this question of how you doing normally. Uh, so instead I will say, to paraphrase the, the, the song used at the beginning of, I believe at the beginning of Fallout 3, I just want to set myself on fire after playing <laughs> some of Fallout 3 again, because, <laughs> God, I forgot, it's really, God, that's a bit, that's not, that's not a very good video game. It is, uh, it is, it's not very good. But anyways, regardless, besides that, I'm, I'm doing well. Um, recovering from the uh, more oppressive cultural mechanisms of the holiday season and the sensory overload that comes with it. But how are you? How are you, Kay? How have you been? Um, good. Um, it's it's nearly uh, uh, New Year's Eve. Uh, of course, when when all of you at home are hearing this, it will be 2021. Um, so greetings from the past, greetings from uh, uh, the year that perhaps will will be remembered in, in infamy uh, when it is looked back uh, looked back uh, upon by historians in the future. I hope as a as a, as a year where the conditions became such that we finally um, uh, end gaming once and yes. for all. Once and for all, we figured out where the big plug is for video <laughs> for video games and then and then we all just grab it and yank it and then yeah. we're free and then we can go uh realize the 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 full of human potential um, it's oh it's gonna be so sick um but until then unfortunately um we're we're just gonna have to keep on uh video game podcasting uh yeah forever skittles is working on developing a technology that um and th- that's all i'm allowed to say she's about de- it <laughs> she's developing a technology <laughs> that's gonna finally put us all out of our fucking misery yeah stay tuned for that one folks uh stay tuned for for skittles's um 
final uh, invention. Uh, maybe so. You know when they when they uh, invented what was it? Was it the neutron bomb? Mm. Was it when everyone was like, uh, they're going to use it to like clear out cities without damaging uh, the the real estate too much? Yeah, uh, it's going to be like that, except it's going to only it's going to be a bomb that only affects gamers. Mm. So they're just going to yeah. drop it on on like capital cities, and then it'll everyone else will be unharmed, the infrastructure will be unharmed, but gamers will just fucking explode. Yeah, and, the uh, the low yield on the. Uh, on, on the neutron bomb, uh, specifically targets um, this par- this particular enzyme in people who uh, who have well, it's it's only got a scientific name. It's called Minecraft brain, um, <laughs> which is just when you know everything just kind of looks like a block. Uh, mm-hmm. as, as simple as that. There's no other differences besides that, um, which is uh, um, part of the the marginalization that gamers experience. Um, we're not allowed to be perpetually uh, fried by standing too close to screens for too many hours of the day. And that is, that's not freedom. No. And I'm, I, I don't know if people can hear by my disgusting accent, but I'm an American. God damn it. And <laughs> I want to be free to blast 1.5 update of Stardew Valley at my face until 3.30 in the morning, as much as I please. Thank you, and God bless. Eagle sound, gunshot, gunshot, eagle sound. That's right, and speaking of being free to blast, um, we've got we've got just a little... A, we've got a little, a little news piece, uh, because we are going to be talking about Fallout 3 today. Um oh. Which is probably gonna gonna be a longer conversation, so we're just gonna do a short little news piece uh, about the 100 Thieves uh, uh, crank compound, where everyone's just gonna be cranking it all day. Sponsored just, by Cash App, just uh, just the Cash App jackoff gym, the where ja- <laughs> the every, gym. everyone everyone just comes in and just cranks, just start just start like you you thought you thought. A, a congressman building a, a, a jack-off room in his office was was something. This is a jack-off facility. It is, and, and I'm telling you, it's it's really, it is the quality, it is only of the quality that can be provided by Cash App and Totino's Pizza Rolls. <laughs> um, Totino's Pizza Rolls cannot figure out how to make a pizza roll that doesn't get soggy in the microwave, but can definitely make a gigantic room for a bunch of people to jack off in. Um, yeah, that's what capitalism. they do there. Yeah, and they've got a little uh, like video tour of the place, and it looks like a fucking prison. So it, it's it's very it's much a, a Foucaultian nightmare. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a jack off institution, is what it is. You are <laughs> institutionalized when you're jacking off in the the Totino's Pizza Roll uh, Coom Palace. The genealogies um, that bird the the Totino's Jack Off Palace um, are. Uh, then internalized and self-enforced um, <laughs> amongst uh, themselves and amongst one another as popular discourses um, uh, yeah, within the uh, the Foucaultian Jackoff Center. Um, I think we've got. I th- by the way, I think we've named this facility like six different things in a span <laughs> of not even like a minute and a half. Yeah, which yeah. I just 
I'm proud of us. I just I just want to say you say should that be. for. Her. But yeah, uh, this is this 100 Thieves uh cash app compound is the most um probably the thing that is going to finally apply the last little stroke of uh Joker makeup that I've been working <laughs> on um over the past few years learning about the gaming industry more by being on the internet. Yeah. It's basically this it is if a 13-year-old were given $500 million um, and basically a pad of paper and a, and a box of crayons, um, and that's how we came up with the uh, Fortnite training room brought to you by Totino's Pizza Rolls. It's just the, mo- it's the most egregious, disgusting, like, just excessive, uh, like just like noxious thing i think i've seen in a really long time and like i i uh i I just want to i want to congratulate 100 thieves for topping like the level of like capitalist bootlicking cringe that they've managed to create for their lifestyle gaming company (laughs) which i'm i and the reason why I call it a lifestyle gaming company is because 100 thieves i don't know what the fuck you do what what are you are you are you not a band of 100 actual thieves and if so what do you what do you do who well, are see, you i wanted to know that also so i went ahead and i googled it um and i i believe they refer to themselves as like a lifestyle brand um w- which basically means they don't fucking do anything and as yes. as i was watching this hellish uh i don't even know what to call it as as i was guided through the the halls of the Coom Dungeon, uh, uh, sponsored by Totinos. Um, <laughs> I realized that every room is like sponsored. They've got all these yeah. sponsorships. Um, I don't even remember a lot of the other ones. They just kept throwing like brands at me. I noticed all the like gamer chairs in the gamer hole were were um, uh, the the same brand. So I'm sure that's a fucking deal as well. Oh, they have. Uh... Wait, okay, so 100 Thieves is sponsored by Monsanto? <laughs> is that a bit? Or is that the, real? No, this, I gotta Google it, but I'm pretty sure this is real. <laughs> no fucking way. No fucking way. The, oh my god. Oh my god. That's, this is, this is, okay, come on, let me see, let me see. This is, there's no way that this can be a real thing. Um, please no. This like can't be. It does, like normally well because you know it's Wikipedia. Um, they have partners uh, listed on their Wikipedia page that include the other stuff that was in that video, and the Wikipedia page is just in general pretty good. They've got citations and it's to real articles and things like that. But I can't figure out how they're connected to Monsanto. <laughs> it says Monsanto here. I don't know why. Where does it say Monsanto? Okay, so you look at 100 Thieves um, on the Wikipedia page under Partners, Cash App, NZXT, Rocket Mortgage, which was one of them, Totino's, Elgato, and then it says Monsanto. It says Monsanto, so that's... Are there two Monsantos? I I wouldn't think so. Uh, I don't even know how to respond to that. That is an unexpected twist that, that yeah, you just uncovered uh, here. 
this I, is I, uh I love how deeply incestuous capital is. Like everyone sponsoring everything, especially in these like dog shit like tech psycho startups. It, they'll always have the weirdest people um just pouring money into it. I mean, that's what's so interesting. There's no What's really interesting about this is in bringing up all of the different sponsored rooms, I think is this 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 the the five hundred million dollar uh, jackoff dungeon like from which there is no escape like where <laughs> you become like this is this this looks like a fucking naked night horror story that's trying to frighten children <laughs> like this is like they're really going to like you they're like you you automatically your name is your name is cha- changed to like to like Connor. And you become like a 17 year old Fortnite player, like if you look at this building for too long. But <laughs> like it, this it this is an exercise in the really weird parts of contemporary capitalism that are a big part of gaming that people completely understandably haven't been able to exactly get their heads around, which is this like non work part of money pushing that's usually limited to the parts of the market that we're most familiar with, you know. Uh, you know, the, like Wall Street and and that sort of a thing, like like rich people moving money around by buying futures and investing in in certain industries, co- publicly traded companies, etc. Well, of course, gaming, all of these are all of these are they're private corporations that are often publicly traded, um, that are run by absolute cretinous billionaire monsters, which we can well can definitely get into, but uh, more than anything. It is this weird mishmash combination of nonsense. They're like, okay, here's the real way. If you think it's weird that Elgato, Totino's Pizza Rolls, and Cash App and Rocket Mortgage are all combined into one thing, <laughs> I have one thing to talk to you about, and it is capitalism, and contemporary capitalism especially, which does not follow coherency that is based off of human logic and language and that sort of a thing. The, the keys of our society are in the hands of the free market, which is seen by conservatives and capitalists as something that is through buying and selling and through its various mechanisms is able to essentially determine based off of the needs of people and their per- the needs of people and the goods that they purchase to meet those needs, mm-hmm. how things should be priced in the market. Um, this is fucking stupid because as people who have actually read Marx before, we understand that you can't just think about that. You have to also think about uh, other components that go into the cost of making the object, like someone's labor, for example, yeah. the the cost for someone to create this. Um, but when you don't take into account like human beings when it comes to the market, you first of all, you get capitalism um, which is re- really doesn't give a shit about human life. And second of all, you get 100, you get 100 gex, 100, 100 thieves. Well, uh, honestly, well, hang I, on. Who, who do you think would win in a fight? 100 thieves or 100 gex? Oh, 100 gex would grab one of the 100 thieves and beat the rest of the thieves to death with them. Like wow. 100, 100 gex would absolutely annihilate through psychic like means the the 100 thieves dorks because i mean you saw you saw this guy look at this look at this guy with his fucking sweater and his like youth pastor affect what we're going to do is elevate all facets of our business content apparel 
in esports. It's all going to live right here. And that's why I'm so excited to welcome you all to the 100 Thieves Cash App Compound. Let's go take a look. And like, it's That's just... what that affect is. Fuck, you're completely right. So I'm trying to like figure out what his like personality archetype he was all right, guys. Uh, I want to I want to welcome you all here to the United the 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 First Church of Christ in Lakeland, Florida. Uh, my name's Rick, and I want to just let you know that we want to relax here and like oh. hang out. Like it, it is like it's so fucking cringy. It's so like it's just this. It is such culture industry crap that what's useful about it and this is the point that i was trying to make when i was going on is that what's useful about this in particular is that they put the names on the wall and they show that like a lot where this money goes is this all of that extra money that doesn't actually go to the people who develop and make video games the per, the the money that we use to purchase these games they don't go to the people who come up with them and who build them and create them they go to the people who own the companies who then turn around and invest in the $500 million jack-off palace. Well, that ties into my the, a big neon sign appeared uh, in my brain uh, when I was watching this because I was thinking about, okay, so you got your esports teams. Fair enough. They're probably like uh, on some kind of a contract. You've got – but then you've got streamers, I'm noticing. Um, and also you've got podcasters. Mm. Um, and I was reading an article that said that uh, uh, 100 Thieves has the number one and number two like gaming podcasts on iTunes or whatever. Um, so w- before I get into what I'm about to say, we're coming for you, motherfuckers. <laughs> we are. Yeah. We're coming for you. Um, oh, yeah. 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 You should be very, very concerned for not just the status of your podcast, but just your safety in general. Um, oh yeah, no, I, I didn't mean like we're gonna become the number one podcast. I meant like we are going to physically um, attack you in a yeah. video game. You see, yeah, yeah, um, we would like to fight in a video game physically. <laughs> um, Physical video. So game. you can find us at, as always, you can find us at reach us at our PO box, PO box four twenty sixty nine, Walla Walla, Washington. Um, uh, and the zip code is eight six seven five three zero nine, and we actually live behind the post office in an undisclosed location. Um, but you'll know it by uh, when we, uh, as we've said before, we we will come out front and swing around chains yeah. and hold billy clubs, and that's how you know that's us. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> in a video game. In a video game, uh, it's a very cool video game where you do a things very like specific that. and yeah. cool video and that good we video are in. game. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so they've got these these podcasters, these streamers, and the thing is, these are content creation in big quotes. Is um, yeah, it's gig economy shit. Uh, you know, underneath it all, it's the same shit as like Uber or something. You yeah. are doing all of the labor. You often. Um, have to like buy a lot of your own like tools you know your own means of production like you have to have a car uber doesn't give you a fucking car as far as i know um Mm. you need to have you know a a pc that can play games you need a microphone potentially a camera like you you know you get all the shit and then they provide the platform basically to connect you to uh audience or 
customers or you know whatever if you you know want to look at it like a business psycho it's all customers really yeah so with that in mind if you then look at uh, a, a place like uh, Cash App's, uh, you know, uh, masturbation emporium uh, such as this, <laughs> then it starts to get a little alarming because it kind of seems like they are taking these people who are probably not real employees, you know, streamers and podcasters, and recreating a sort of office environment. And that's very worrying because... The thing about capital is it's always trying to extract more value out of you per labor hour. Yeah. Because it it needs to be growing, always. So that often comes in the form of exerting control, of getting more out of you, you know, per hour that you're working. So the gig economy, a lot of people who work in the gig economy kind of like it. Like, uh, quite infamously... Uh, Prop 22, I want to say, in California. So the Uber drivers voted, um, uh, at least a decent uh, chunk of the Uber drivers voted for Prop 22, um, which which reified their position as contractors and and is going to, to some degree, close the door on, like, actually becoming, like, real workers and all the rights and protections that that uh, affords you. Um. And so the narrative goes that a lot of a lot of them they like the freedom of being yeah. uh, you know quote self-employed. They like being able to choose uh, you know how much they work and when they work. And it's it's really interesting to me that capitalism is kind of selling us back some of the the the, the freedoms that came, or, or rather some of the freedoms that we lost uh, with industrialization, with yeah. the way that we started you know, measuring the workday in hours, like people in agrarian society, they had a lot more freedom to sort of work as it needed doing. They, a lot of them, they didn't have a guy standing there with a fucking clock being like, no, you haven't done your eight hours yet. You know, you go and you sort out the field, you feed the fucking piggies or whatever. And then when it's done, it's done. Yeah. Work was a part of a social life. Yeah. um, Throughout the day. And you paid more attention you were more clo- you were more inclined to before electricity be reliant on natural light than mm-hmm. other light. and then and as a result we, people needed different types of things and they organized society in a different way i think that's a really good point yeah so nature uh regulated you know how and when you had to do stuff a lot more than like a boss you know keeping track of fucking time uh, but labor was a lot more task oriented than time oriented mm-hmm. You know, the, the mindset seemed to be a lot more like, okay, I need to do X, Y, and Z. I need to get that shit done today. Um, and you could integrate that into your life because it was definitely a, a much more – work was a lot more integrated into social life, as you were saying. And and so I feel that a lot of gig economy stuff is really capitalism trying to sell us back like a feeling that we have that kind of work-life balance. But it comes at this enormous cost of – are um, a, a lot of the, the, the hard-fought workers' rights that uh, gig economy workers do not have. Yeah. And so what, what all of this is, what I'm, I'm, I'm coming towards here is that when I see gig economy workers uh, working under a company and gathered into a place where now their means of production are, are more directly held by a company, so your 
your streaming equipment, all of that. That's part of the the Cash App Come Palace. That's all in there. That's that's 100 Thieves owns that shit now. You don't. So more and more of that independence is being taken away from you when things are structured this way and you more and more become an employee in terms of the amount of freedom you have, but you're still a gig economy contractor. So you... What you what we see now is that these companies have an opportunity to recreate the employee-employer relationship, but completely circumvent workers' rights in a very yeah. concerning way. And to do it, and to do it in spaces in which people are li- not very familiar, which is this: there's this idea that I've been playing around with and writing some things on that I've been talking about the colonization of everyday life, mm-hmm. which I think we've mentioned. Uh, uh, I think we mentioned it on the last episode. I think I heard that right recently um mm-hmm. the i made a joke about this building being a Foucaultian nightmare um <laughs> and but it, in in a lot of ways it is yeah and what Kay is talking about is really this this the a change from what we call a disciplinary society to what uh the philosopher Guy Deleuze called the society of control um uh, and the, I think these are very useful for talking about uh, power in contemporary society. And I, uh, uh, this is a good practice for me to be as brief as possible. Um, uh, Michel Foucault, the philosopher that everyone makes prison jokes about, um, uh, not every everything is not a prison. That's not what Foucault was saying. I'm sorry, but that's just it, it's a funny bit, but it's wrong. Um, uh, Fun police. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, re- I that's why I don't comment on on them only on the podcast when I people can't get mad at me. Um, okay. <laughs> Foucault's theories of power was structured around the idea of the disciplinary society, which is in the 18th and the 19th century, these various sort of enclosing spaces that were constructed in liberal societies like schools and hospitals and prisons, um, these enclosures that not only had put people in a certain place, but also had them socialize and carry on in a particular way. And um, that's where sort of the the power the discourse of power uh, embeds itself within individual people through the sh- constraints in the way that they socialize in these various institutions and how those institutions are based off of certain types of knowledge, certain beliefs, certain structures, if you will. Um, and then at, uh, moving past this and attempting to sort of like bring it into conversation with more contemporary society, Guy Deleuze, um, in an affirmation of Foucault's thesis, talked about in an essay called Postscripts on the Societies uh, of Control. Uh, Deleuze talks about um, how the uh, enclosure, when the enclosure breaks away, the sort of the sum of its parts remains in various other ways through the sort of the sovereignty of a, a disciplinary society becomes ever more sovereign through the um, embodiment of its beliefs, gestures, values, etc., in individual people who then portray and enforce those values amongst one another socially and culturally. Um, and what's interesting about this, I think, is how it takes this sort of the the next step um, after for the gig economy, which is the the thing that capitalism does, which is says, "Ooh, isn't it nice how much freedom you have in your schedule or whatever?" And masking over the fact that it's going to be hard for you to 
maintain a free schedule rather than just a busier one at different hours because of the type of job you're doing in order to be able to pay all of your bills doing this gig economy work and you have to pay for the wear and tear on your vehicle and all this sort of a thing mm-hmm. but like companies like this are able to go into their working conditions and to their employees and hit certain pressure release valves in order to like tamper down um, an already really like beat down workforce uh, considering, you know, modern work. Um, and what stuff like this does, I think, is does something of an in, uh, of a similar thing with, say, like a petite bourgeois person, if we're using these kind of class gradations in this exercise, and to, to negotiate with them and say, hey, look, come into this, like, come into our fancy jack-off palace and, like, jack-off on this gaming pl- a PC uh, into a plate of Totinos and while still restricting and retaining through as you're talking about the the means through which they produce and create content growing their content but all the while like basically sweeping in the uh, the spoils of their work the result of their labor they're able to grow these individual people just enough to keep them happy and advocating for this particular way of working while also still exploiting their labor, retaining the means of production and uh, basically alienating them as a worker while giving them essentially like they're the upper they're You know, all these management positions in all those places you work that didn't need to exist. Yeah. All those extra managers who just fucking sit around and don't actually do anything or they just like find problems to try and solve or stuff that's not broken or it's shit that people who work there could do. But apparently you need to pay some dumbass 10 years older than the 18 year olds running this place to like stand and watch while people do it. That these are the types of people that the, that these are try, they're trying trying to create in these horizontal unstructured industries. People who are going to say, "No, this is all very good," and one of these days you could be me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there are these very sort of like means of negotiation that capitalism has through individuals or through its social and cultural environments that they're able to leverage into controlling and maintaining hegemony. And this is one of them, I think, in so I think, as we honestly just showed good for us in um, (laughs) a whole bunch of different fucking ways. We're geniuses, by the way, for anyone who we're actually like super geniuses and are just like so smart, like slumming it in gaming. (laughs) So, yeah, just to just to to wrap up this segment um, with everything we've discussed, I would really encourage people, especially anyone um, Uh, anyone listening to this who is involved in gig economy work themselves, keep an eye out for ways that those freedoms that you've kind of traded those workers' rights for may be slyly clawed back, and you may find yourself being once more proletarianized, but without, um, you know, everything that we struggled for over the past, like, couple of centuries of, of capitalism um with those sort of protections mysteriously absent because after all you're self-employed um because that i feel like that is that dynamic is going to be i think a lot of what we see i think that's going to define at least the earlier part of of this century um uh when we look back on it uh as a piece of labor history so um absolutely you're in it it's happening right now so be ready and Anyone involved with uh, labor unions, for the love of God, 
think about how to respond to this because this is gonna be the fucking fight um for yeah for for the foreseeable future and i feel like um for the most part a lot of um traditional unions haven't really known how to cope with the gig economy um and i've yeah. been in, i've been in touch with a lot of unions in the uk and just being like hey how are you guys dealing with this can we talk about this and i uh, sadly i've gotten some very um uncertain responses we need we need like a I'm being sincere safe word on this podcast because I just don't <laughs> want people to think that this is a bit um and un, un, for, fortunately we're at our phase at, at a phase before our podcast becomes uh uh before our podcast grows super big so big that it literally swallows all of the pod save America Johns um, yeah destroys them but in the meantime our following is enough to where if you or someone that you know um, has questions about union organizing or are close with your coworkers um, and you're having some difficulty and you don't know where to start, you can message the AGAB Twitter and I will do my best to answer any questions that you have. Um, I, I'm not an expert uh, in labor organizing because I just don't consider myself one, but I've done it plenty um, and uh, I can help. So like really, if you want, if people, goddamn, if you, goddamn, if someone actually who works in the gaming industry is listening to this, holy shit, DM me, like I'm yes. Labor Kyle on Twitter, or DM the Agab Twitter, like I will do organizing training one on one whenever I have to. I will do it at three a.m. outside if you make if you need me to. Like just let me know. Anyways, I wanted to put that in there. Yeah, because it's it's true. Yeah, I, that is sincere. I I like. I do labor organizing is mostly what I do in my spare time. So, but yeah, that that offer absolutely stands. Um, message us for real. We got you. But now, it's time to talk about video games, which is far more important than uh, yes. any any of any of those trite topics we were discussing before. It's fucking Fallout time, baby. I don't want to set the world on fire. All of this just works. It's not, I'm not kidding. Yeah, but before we get into this wonderful video game, I wanted to do one thing to uh, continue our antagonistic relationship with our audience um, and the people who listen to this podcast um, in general which is that uh, I hear a lot of people complaining about the music in Fallout. Um, and I just want to say, first of all, uh, I, I well, I have two questions for you, first of all. First of all, how how dare you? Second of all, who do you, uh, who do you think you are? Um, <laughs> oh, a third one, and where do you get off? And also, I, just, I, I, I want to take a, a second to state my very controversial opinion that the music in Fallout 3 is maybe the only good thing about Fallout 3. It was it was one of the better innovations that Bethesda brought to the series because yeah for the most yes. part they fucked it but like no it it has a very distinct um uh uh like personality that's been defined in a lot of ways by this bringing back this like old timey music and I feel like it kind of kicked off like a um it, it kind of kicked off a trend in video games I feel like a lot of video games that came out after Fallout Three utilize that that sort of music like um Bioshock. The Bioshock yes. series is an obvious example. Uh, they have a lot of the same shit in it. I mean, come the fuck on. Danny Kaye and the Andrew Sisters, which oh, that sounds kind of racist. Uh, uh, Billie Holiday, Cole Porter, the Ink Spots. Oh, man, they do Into Each Life, Some Rain Must Fall with Ella Fitzgerald. That's a really good one. 
<laughs> Jack Shandlin's I'm Tickled Pink. Like, this is some really, like, you know, for anyone who's listening um, and who uh, isn't familiar with me, Kyle, personally, I'm a homosexual. Um, so I love Cole Porter. Um <laughs> And uh, uh, I just want I just want to come out imme- I just wanted to very quickly come out immediately in defense of uh, in defense of the soundtrack for Fallout, mostly as a joke. And then Kay, of course, had to go ruin it by making a very good point of observation about the trend in retrofuturism and how I imagine it was linked to the uh, score in some way, at least because when you use the Great American Song Songbook, not only are there songs that people realize they're passively familiar with and they didn't realize they were in any way familiar with, but you also teach people that the ink spots fucking whip. The ink spots, <laughs> like one of the first like popular racially integrated bands in the United States, like I don't want to set the world on fire, is like, like, like spin that shit, love that shit. Hell Anyways, yeah! Okay, now we can talk about Fallout. Well, actually, I think that the music is a good segue into um, it's kind of it's it's sort of a metaphor for where Bethesda really falls short with this series, because they really don't fucking understand a lot of the a lot of the political commentary that Fallout makes like they I think that they embrace a lot of the like American jingoism and anti-communism. But it's just like, yeah, this is cool. We have like the big (laughs) robot that's like fucking uh death is preferable to communism and stuff like that it's like shit like that is meant to be like unsettling that's meant to indicate a national mindset that is very very destructive um it's like that meme where there's like the guy being like wow cool power armor and then like the thing going over his head and it's like critique of of fucking you know uh u.s imperialism (laughs) and stuff um and so I think that the best metaphor for that is some of the music, because some of the music from this time has some, you know, it has not aged well racially. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I don't remember the name of the song, but there's one song in the game. It's the one that's like bingo bango bongo so happy in the that, congo that one that's you know civil, that's civilization right the, civilization the yeah, sisters. yeah yeah <laughs> so bongo 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 i don't want to leave the congo yeah and so yeah it's in, it's incredibly racist it's part of this discursive space that i find re- this cultural space i find really interesting that's also in like the post-war war musical there's for example is i think it i think it was either on the town or anchors away but one of these Gene Kelly, Frank Sinatra musicals to where one of the female love interests, I believe it was on the town because there's three of them. Yeah. One of the female love interests is a museum anthropologist. And that's some of the most racist shit I've ever seen in my entire life, which in the in a in a post-World War Two film, that's about people sailors on or uh, that's about people coming home to the big city and they still managed to squeeze it they're like let's go into a museum and do a bunch of anthropological racism let's go do a bunch of like german imperialist 19th century race science in this musical film while gene kelly tap dances like like first of all how could you do that to gene kelly whoever wrote that movie um how dare you i like that's my husband that you did that to um, and also there is no tension. I think in, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think what you're getting at Kay, is, is broadly there's there, the tension that exists in the, pol- the political spaces of the first two fallout games, which it, it, in its cold war political commentary in its, uh, um, nuclear, it, its commentary as a post-apocalyptic society on nuclear fallout, 
um, on weapons, on, you know, factional, various forms of factionalism, liberal politics, the first fallout games, like the, um, the, the, like the, the, the formation of the like bourgeois, like liberal space or whatever is not like seen it, like it, it contains within it a, like a good solid critique. Um, whereas this is all just window dressing in the Bethesda Fallout games to where, like, and it just doesn't really matter anymore, which is how you can see all these various, like, characters and pieces just kind of switching in and out to fill this, like, story that's about, like, yeah, yeah, you know, com commentary on uh, the Cold War is interesting, but have you thought about Pew Pew? And, <laughs> like, how maybe the, like, the, like, um, like, the, the, the perfect unity of like right-wing nationalistic like almost catholicism with u.s the u.s military like have you thought about how like you could just like like they're not that bad yeah it's there's no critique in fallout 3 it's all like celebration it's like it, spectacle yeah. it's yeah it's just like oh look at all this stuff look at all these cool tunes look at these crazy you know anti-communism killer robots and stuff like that and it's like none of it is is uh, it, it's all completely detached from the substance of what's behind it or the context of like oh so this all came from like a a, a world before the world was a fucking wasteland this this is bad this isn't good yeah. this 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 maybe gives us some clues as to why we are currently standing in, uh, you know, a pit of radiation and fucking monsters. Yeah, it doesn't like it's well, it's part of like what why I think the Fallout series is very useful for examining capitalist realism in particular. And, and that sort of cultural framework is that you can see that even in like the first two Fallout games, this isn't like the first two Fallout games are both have good stories, good characters, and they're very well-made, enjoyable video games. They're they're very well-made, like, interactive products. Um, mm -hmm. But they all they don't, like, hold up perfectly to the critique of capitalist realism. No, by, by any means. And that's part of, you know, it's a very powerful force, and that's part of the, you know, it, its use as an interpretive framework. But it, like, even, even with that, Fallout 3 is so, like sees itself as so devoid of ideology or yeah. like basically has had like it has no soul to the point to where when you put them next to each other fallout one and two seem like you know like they're like they're the reddest games that have ever come out when in all <laughs> actuality they have they have they they just have politics like they don't have perfect politics but they have them something to grab something to hold on to they have like it's textured that war those worlds are very textured um fallout 3 it feels like a reduction you took the first two fallout games and you you know put them with some water over low heat and you got them into sort of this like reduction and you put it into the mold of insert whatever fucking triple a game like <laughs> you want to you want to think about yeah and, the, and and then you just like slop it out into the public and as it turns out the the thing that we you know you know don't i i i the point that i i personally often forget until i went back and was looking at some early reviews earlier today um which is that this game was a fucking mess when it was released it didn't work like it was a it was a night like playing it on console in particular 
was an absolute nightmare um, at the very beginning. So, you know, things weren't going to go well, but I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not enough for the thing to, you know, actually be something that's interesting. I will play an interesting game that doesn't always work right. Yeah. Because goddamn, if it's an interesting game, I'm probably going to like it. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm probably going to dig it's like, you know, you're going to like you can you can give me rough edges and I'm just going to think it's punk. It's fine. I don't care. <laughs> like so like if anyone wants to mark me for any particular reason, that's a good way to do it. Like I'm just gonna be like, oh, yeah, this kind of riffs sounds nasty. But like to put out something that is not only so devoid of meaning and value and commentary, but to also put out something that just doesn't fucking work right. Yeah, is just insulting. But par for the core as we as we especially learn considering this, if we think of the gaming industry in terms of phases this would be i think the beginning of the like pissing on us and telling us it's raining of modern console and pc gaming but you know certainly and and everyone is rightfully tearing into cd project red uh at the time of recording because of cyberpunk 2077 but it's important to always remember bethesda has been releasing broken fucked up games for a long long time like yeah, this isn't a new problem. Fallout 3 is more than a decade old at this point. And it was, yeah, it was totally fucked when it came out. Um, and I, I I think that in terms of a, a game that's just like really hollow like this, uh, like ideologically um, in a lot of ways, I think that the Brotherhood of Steel is really the best example of that because I hmm. recently played Fallout 1. And you meet the Brotherhood of Steel in that game, and it's a very, it's 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 an interesting faction that clearly has some clear ideas behind it. And you talk to people in it, and they all kind of feel like people. Like there's a yeah. there's like a, a a mechanic who's really lazy, and you can get some power armor quite easily off of him, even though it's it's normally something difficult to get because he can't be fucked trying to fix it so if you can just sort it out you can take it off his hands like there's there's people who just don't give a shit there's people who are really ideologically committed to what they're doing and you know it feels like a real organization and you compare it to fallout 3 where they're just like generic good guys like they feel like they feel like knights you know like a lot a lot of people call it oblivion with guns um and it is a little reductive, but at the same time, it's like, no, the shooting feels so bad because it is oblivion with guns. Um, and there's literally like the heroes are fucking knights in big suits of armor and, and, and shit like that who are just objectively good and they're fighting the objectively bad monsters. And like, it's it's bad. It's, it's World War. I, I managed to somehow accidentally mention World War Two and uh Somehow, I, I, my, my psychic gamer senses were tingling from the other side of the Atlantic, um, because it's, it's absolutely the, um, the Call of Duty discourse. Like mm. it emerged from this still in the end of history, like uh, first Bush administration, sort of reinforcing the like aggressive nationalistic policies and American foreign policy. Uh, as, you know, American sort of imperialism took its 21st century turn with Iraq and that sort of a thing. Um, and then again in Obama, which Call of Duty, you can't tell I'm writing a magazine piece about Call of Duty right now because I can, I can say for, with certainty that Call of Duty followed that trajectory like 
like lockstep perfectly. Yeah. And that narrative reminds me so much of the early games to where you're basically not including not the first one where at least the first Call of Duty game actually you play a Soviet. Um, there's Thanks. one. <laughs> Uh, and then they said, stop that. Uh, well, not yeah. completely. I think there's maybe one or two others. But, yeah. Department uh, of Defense said, tone it down, lads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's one's too, one's too many. Uh, <laughs> uh, and they, it's these very, like, like, not even Hollywood, like, not even, like, not even Golden Age of Hollywood, like, studio contract era stuff. Because at least those people were, like... I don't know, maybe they're just hot and you get distracted. And not all of them are terrible actors. Or at least, <laughs> like, the the camp and hyperbole of those contexts feels fun and interesting. It feels yeah. performed. But you can tell that this isn't genuine because the, the way that you build your experience within the context of Fallout 3, which can actually turn it into a playable, interesting game, is by essentially imbuing it and working against and in spite of its wishes, which is for... which is it's just it's it's a sham of an ideological construction and that in and of itself is its own sort of end of history based construction that's void of all just like you know it's the allies versus the nazis and then you don't say anything else about world war ii and then everyone goes home and we don't talk about who was doing things um uh besides that um allies and by the oh yeah and by i'm sorry by the allies i mean the united states the british and the french end of end of end of list um it's this like (laughs) it's not just a historical i mean it doesn't have to be historical this is an alternative timeline that goes before the nuclear event so things changed in the fallout universe i get the you know i don't know all the rules of fiction but i understand how to read that sort of a thing but like the problem is is it does nothing useful that doesn't contribute to some of the like shittiest parts about contemporary video games is that what they do is they 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 take advantage of interactive technologies um, as a means for telling tired, boring, stale, uninteresting stories, and then are able to leverage the technology. Um, like the game, is like they're able to leverage the people who create this game, who actually put the labor into it, the environment that they build. And then they say, okay, it's ready. Here you go. Um, without being, it, it, it doesn't feel like a place that's lived in because it wasn't lived in. Not even, I don't think the developers got, get to live in these environments um, in a way to imbue it with more human qualities, um, considering studio pressure and that kind of a thing. So I don't know. I just think, I just think there's, there's a way to make a world that feels real. And I think the example used of the Brotherhood of Steel is really good one because if you're thinking about human beings then it's a collection of people with their own um desires beliefs and visions for the world their uh, feelings and you know motivations etc uh if history tells us anything it tells us that so human agency like i don't i don't want these weird like like the if these guys if the fall if the brotherhood of steel guys existed in our universe they would be like scary trad catholics who like really want to like re like reinvent the French monarchy <laughs> or something like that? They would be like internet personalities that would just be like hot, luring people into just like they're like, oh yeah, oh we're just gonna sit here and we're gonna be cool and talk uh, talk about Jesus on the internet. Have you thought about how Western society is crumbling because of the homosexuals? 
Yeah, um, like Brotherhood of Steel are are horrible. Like I've, we will get to Fallout Four in a future episode. But one thing yes. I cannot attack Bethesda for is I think they did a much better representation of the Brotherhood in Fallout Four. They are. Uh, uh, an aggressive, invasive force who doesn't give a shit yeah. about anyone except themselves. They will, they will fucking shoot up dirt peasants with a Gatling laser if they have something they want. Uh, they're awful. They're fucking horrible. Uh, you know, pseudo theological fascists. And seeing them depicted as just like the heroes in three is so fucking creepy. The, there is this sort of mid-aughts, mid to mid-late aughts cultural anxieties um, that were really manifesting themselves around this time period in this, like, to me, it just looks like people, like someone, like, it, it looks like a childish emotional reaction to a, like, the precarity of American hegemony. Um, you can view it through the, you know, Iraq war, but you could also view it through the, what people didn't realize what was happening, which is an, an economic crash that was bubbling under the surface, real estate bubbles that were, you know, forming after the big dot-com boom in the 1990s, like things were about to crash real hard. Um, but you see people being like, everything is fine. Everything <laughs> is good. Look, actually the brotherhood of steel is kind of cool. Look at the big robot. Yeah. Like, look, at, isn't America cool? Kind of cool though. Like, I know this is like fucked up, but like, isn't it like, Oh yeah. Like, please just look at the big flat. Please watch another fast and furious movie. <laughs> like to get your interpretation for the, I'm obsessed with those fucking movies. Um, I, uh, but yeah, like the, it, it is this, like there, it's a period in, in cultural history um, especially in places like the United States that see this kind of like people are really like wringing their hands trying to like interpret and reinterpret Americans America's like supremacy the United States in the world and that's how we came up that's why they made that uh Olympus has fallen movie twice like let that that's oh, yeah, the movie they, where they did make Gerard Butler yeah, where they he protects the president. Not mm -hmm. only did they do two sequels to that movie, but they also that first movie they they did that thing where they made the same movie twice and they released it in the same year. One with Channing Tatum called White House Down, and like that movie had to come out two times that year. Once was never going to be enough. <laughs> they needed to like reinforce like then they needed to say okay we need to we need to reconstruct this particular American Cold War anxiety, but under a more contemporary formation and with a more contemporary enemy. So they cast like North Korea, I think as the enemy or something like that. And like, it's just like fallout. This fallout three is a part of this, just like this, like rocking back and forth and like, yeah, boy, uh Oh, we what's going to happen. Yeah. Things look pretty bad, but Oh, nope, nope, nope. And then the industry, the culture industry comes from extends from the economic mode of production comes in to say, no, 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 everything's fine. Here are how things are good, and here's all of the stuff that you like and is good, and don't worry. And now it's 2020, and I don't have to fill in the blanks for anybody. We know what happened. Well, certainly. I, I think that's, that's really the best way to describe Fallout 3, is it's taken all of this Americana and all of these familiar American things, and in every place where uh, the original Fallout games would have been making a critique it is instead seeking comfort in in this really disturbing yeah. way and i i think that we 
we we see a bit of pushback against that in New Vegas because that's a good Fallout game, but I think that uh, with four and seventy six, I think Bethesda is really committed to to this very sort of backward looking almost type of like good old classic America as like a brand um, yeah. with no you know curiosity about uh, what that that means in the Fallout universe. Um, Fallout 3 and Leave It to Beaver are the same fucking thing, which basically is I completely agree. <laughs> it it does like the the cultural imaginary of Fallout 3 is the is not that much di- different, which is it's exactly what you're saying. It, like the reason why it doesn't have the spirit of the first two games is because when you remove if you're not doing that in any sort of critical or interesting way and it's just that all you're doing is like nostalgia pornography. And, like, yeah, people dressed cool, but, like, remember all the other stuff that happened? Yeah. Like, I don't know. And you know what? Kind of on the other side of, of like, the whitewashing of the Brotherhood of Steel, um, another disturbing thing that happens in 3 is, uh, I don't know what the opposite of whitewashing is, but the the making shittier of the super mutants, because they're... <laughs> Like, it's fairly intelligent, and they have, like, motivations that make sense in in Fallout uh, 1 and uh, New Vegas, certainly, and in 2. Whereas in 3, you don't really get much of that. They're just, like, they're just evil monsters here to kill you. And it feels like that in in a lot of, in 4 as well. Like, Bethesda is not interested in the super mutants as, like as as a a race as a group of people who you know have their own interests and motivations in this world they're interested in them as fantasy monsters for you to shoot yeah um for people i know i actually know a lot of people who are finally playing the first two games so i'm actually going to instead normally i do this antagonistically but i'm going to do this uh because i think it'd be nice i'm not going to spoil that end of that game uh stuff happens at the end of fallout one and so you know society has to like with other games you reconfigure itself in some ways Mm -hmm. including super mutants and super mutants some super mutants have reactions that are different than others some work or more closely align themselves with the new california republic some uh like 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 some are like are the roving bands that you see in fallout 3 and some integrated into human society and some like and i like the only thing that fallout new vegas misses um with that is that there just aren't as many super mutants so as a result it feels almost it feels like just these sort of snapshots of um which i think is a good thing Mm -hmm. but in the earlier games something that was even broader which is as you were describing like social groups and social formations and fact factionalization does not like like morph the brains and the subjectivity of everyone within those like groups in a one-to-one way to where like i like i i joined the brotherhood of steel and now it's just like no i'm gonna talk like this i'm gonna say sir to everybody (laughs) there are human beings with individual agencies like present within these social formations the social formations rise within this big soup of human society to where that's how we figure out how to construct and build those societies and then we figure out how to communicate within them using you know language and uh all like writing and culture and all of this interesting stuff like 
but that doesn't mean that like everything doesn't just change then everyone is making their own individual assessments um in evaluations they're making their own concessions toward whatever this social formation is versus what their desires are they're trying to change themselves maybe they're being successful maybe they're being not but they're those are individual people with motivations super mutants count as that as well and what this game does is just you again where it comes back to it's a skin they take the fallout skin and they say "Ooh, big scary monster and then they don't like subvert anything besides big scary monster almost from then on um besides in new vegas where they do absolutely give a little more texture to it it's just a little and it's just uh, more infrequent less integrated into the central social formations of that game's world but uh no i think you're absolutely right yeah new vegas does it better because it's not actually being made by bethesda who again exactly. they, they have something <laughs> against the super mutants they don't want to tell interesting stories with them um uh, four and three each have at least one like friendly super mutant like they have like a companion but they're yeah. very much made out to be like an outlier a severe anomaly yeah. uh from a, a mm-hmm. race who are basically just an evil hive mind so writing a, a whole world is hard uh when it's so uh, disconnected from like uh you know the real world when you gotta you gotta write this yeah. whole new civilization and that's a lot of work and if you do a bad job it feels like every faction is a hive mind a bit it feels like yeah you know these are this is super mutants they think this end of discussion these are the people from this town they think this end of discussion and it's it just leads to this really weird homogenous uh a way of, of of grouping people and when that grouping is done by like uh race um it uh it it's certainly yeah. y- you could do some very uncharitable readings if you were so inclined uh to a text that writes that way oh absolutely absolutely well I, like i don't understand how like i am someone who spent a lot of time studying the history of the united states to and if i'm looking at the the tropic elements of the of the exceptional super mutant or whatever you know i'm thinking i go immediately to american film and like the like like the exceptional black character who embodies white characteristics or the magical negro trope or like i go straight immediately to like the like tropic culture in the United States regarding African American people, the descendants of slaves, mm-hmm. which is all discursively wrapped up in the like the ways in which cultural performance tokenizes in indiv- not just tokenizes and individualizes it and, and uh, uh, otherizes. I mean, um, whole you know groups of people, but the way it also creates exceptions to those. Uh, generalizations as a means for reinforcing its own discursive supremacy. You know, this is another, I think, you know, I think I managed to land on another full circle point on accident, but I think that, I think it boils down to really what Fallout 3 lacks, which is any amount of self-awareness needed to continue manipulating the characters, contexts, and ideas that it inherited from those original games in a way that's not going to accidentally do racial tropes <laughs> like clearly they just did because that's and that's some that's some basic that's some basic culture shit like it's really you know 
it's it's not it's not it's not nitpicking it's not going out of your way it's a very simple straightforward reading of the way that they talk about the various groups in this world and am i saying that they were trying to like they're trying to embed for, for those who aren't used to doing this type of reading which i totally understand is not a, usually the way people talk about video games but usually if, I, if you i'm not trying to say that they're you know the developers of this game were like oh we're gonna do a secret racism uh there, there's too there's too many overt racisms let's do a secret racism <laughs> and let's do it in the video game uh it, no it, it it's just to relate it to the broader point that an awareness of the role that a super mutant plays in this society would necessitate a different construction of the super mutant and those exceptions wouldn't exist because they wouldn't need to exist because super mutants would be seen as characters with agency, um, intelligence, process for reasoning, and the capability for socialization with people who don't look like them or act like them. Like you would understand that, like if you were using the IP in a way that was productive. But instead, it it takes a step back, and while retaining the aesthetic uh, and some of the other sort of constructions, the way they talk and you know that kind of a thing. Um, from earlier titles, it instead uses and just it just it just like any uh, the vacuum that's left by that this lack of critique um, is just filled with whatever contemporary discursive crap that you can put into it, which is like ooh big super mutant bad. What if big super mutant bad? But w but one super big super mutant good, but all <laughs> rest bad. Oh wow! Oh my goodness! Like. They're like, oh, there's a there's a super mutant companion in a Fallout game. Uh, that must mean that this is the good one. It's like, no, think about that for if you think it for more than five seconds. Yeah, no, and it's then not you'll good. figure it out. It's not good. Um, no. everything from like American jingoism to racism to you know any uh, assortment of reactionary ideas that are contained in this sort of like classic America culture that, that the, the series pulls from Bethesda is not interested in, in thinking too much about any of them. And that is what fallout three is. It's a game that doesn't want to think too much. Yeah. And stay the fuck out of sci-fi. If that's how you're going to behave is what I have right. to say about that. Yeah. Like you just science fiction is a perfect example because it's just good. Like you, the contrast between, Sci good like good science fiction that is oriented and i'm not even talking about like like it has to it like shot at a certain resolution i mean science fiction that is integrated into the historical change process and creation of science fiction as a literary genre versus modern culture where with science fiction skin like really when you put them up right next to one another the contrasts are so striking yeah. uh, in post-apocalyptic fiction which like w especially one with such heavy science fiction elements like fallout um is very useful for that as well some of it's good this is not bingo that's fallout 3 um play new vegas instead that's it yeah play uh play adam rpg it's a really, really good game on Steam uh, that is was created recently in very much in spirit of the early Fallout games, um, and I have played a very good amount of it, and it's fantastic. 
Um, there's a there's a new game you can play instead of Fallout Three because it's not very good. Play something isometric and weird like that. Awesome. Or New Vegas if you want a first person shooter. I'm gonna check that out because I've been revisiting the the first two Fallout games, so I I, I definitely want to want to get a load of that. Yeah, it's really good. I like it quite a bit. You bastard! All right, Kyle, who's the bastard? Who's the bastard? So, in uh, in the uh, uh, in the spirit of Christmas, official sponsor of the podcast, um, <laughs> I would uh, uh, I'd like to first of all thank everyone who's listening right now for enjoying us as, uh, enjoying our first big year as a podcast. And uh, by first big year, I mean first month. Um, and I want to just take a second to you know, ring, ring out the old and in the new, uh, by declaring the bastard of the week, just the entire video game industry, really. Um, cause not only is it in the spirit of, you know, the end of the year, the flip, the turning of the calendar, you know, 2021, but also on the holiday spirit, um, because considering everything that has happened throughout COVID-19, um, as well as just the ho- holiday sales in general, the video games industry did incredibly fucking well this year. Um, I've seen estimates for 20% sales rise. Wow. Um, like this is like, this is getting close to the $200 billion mark. They're not going to hit that, but something like that. Um, they just released next gen consoles. So it's going to be a good year next year too. Lots of growth from the big, uh, companies, um, an unbelievable surge in revenue overall across all kinds of platforms and PCs and console gaming and mobile gaming and that sort of thing. Um, and so I'm going to, there's that information. We're going to put that there. Um, and now I'm going to come into this business insider article, um, that is, uh, uh, video games salaries revealed it was December 10th in 2020 by Maddie Simpson. Here's how much the executives of the top U S gaming giants, like, uh, electronic arts and more made in 2019. And I'm just going to come down here. I'm just going to read some numbers. Uh, uh, CEO Robert Kotick of uh, Activision Blizzard made uh, $30 million in total compensation. Um, Dennis Durkin, who's the CFO and president of emerging businesses at Activision, made $9.5 million. Uh, another CEO at Activision, Colster Johnson, that is a real person's name, uh, made 5.2, um, include, and, and there's a few other there, including their chief legal officer, um, and the chief people officer, which I don't know what the fuck that is. Um, $4.3 million in total compensation. People are going to say, oh no, 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 no. Look at their salaries. The CPO, the chief people officer, the thing that needs to exist, um, which that's gotta just be fucking in operations. Only made two hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars, but no, that wasn't total compensation, which includes things like stock awards, NEIP, and other op- options and various kinds of compensations and perks. Yeah, the, uh, the stuff where most of the value uh, that you're getting is coming from, yes. like your salary is yeah. fucking. It, when you get that yeah. high up, your salaries is baby shit compared to what yeah. you're getting access to. Which is for a quick aside and a, a shameless plug. Um, which is something that uh, is frequently done by, say, university administrations and presidents as well, which you should read my piece on that in Protean Magazine uh, called Monsters of the University, where I talk about Resident Evil. I basically compare university administrators to uh, the Umbrella Corporation, 
um, and my assurance to never get a job. But it's the same idea, basically. They talk about, you know, not only when a, when a president of a university says, I'm going to cut 25% of my salary in solidarity. Like, first of all, that's fucking jack shit of their gigantic, like, six-figure salary. But also, that's not even close to the total compensation they get. Here's another good example. Electronic, this Andrew Wilson, the CEO of EA, uh, gets $1.2 million in salary, but his total compensation is $21 million. Um, yeah. So that's... Uh, yeah, the the it, it just goes on and on. You know, the CFO of Take Two made seven point five. Um, you know, the uh, the president and CEO of Nvidia made almost twelve million dollars. Um, this is during a global pandemic. This is when the video game industry is opposing uh, collective bargaining and workers' organization to the point where. Uh, uh, workers have had to, you know, go on illegal strikes and do wildcat strikes in order to have their needs met in terms of their compensation. And this is when employees are being treated like shit. They're being subjected to incredible amounts of crunch. And yeah. frankly, even even if you're such a fucking dickhead that you don't care about any of that, all you care about is consuming video game. Uh, this yeah. is a year where. Uh, huge games are being released unfinished and fucking broken uh, because they apparently can't invest like the you know the money and man hours required to properly make their product but the assholes at the top can still walk away with fucking tens of millions nobody is coming out of this any better except for them yeah um what and because the, like at the end of the day, like it doesn't organizing and being a worker in tech or in gaming is not going to be different than being an organizer or a worker in other industries because they are never at any point going to go out of their way to give you the things that you need in order to live your life comfortably and safely. They need to be demanded. Not only can you not ask for them as well, they need to be demanded and there ultimately needs to be consequences for people failing to um uh for people for people who fail to meet those demands. Um which is um when video game workers um organize and make demands um you know it at like like striking gets the good. Striking is a is a last resort when it comes to use union organizing, but like game workers have absolutely won um, recently. I'm thinking specifically about uh, uh, there's a game called Love Struck that was produced by uh, Voltage Entertainment, um, uh, a, a group of workers organizing with an initiative from the Communication Workers of America uh, Telecom Union here called Code. Uh, campaign to organize digital employees i believe that stands for uh did a wildcat strike with consensus uh uh, among their members uh in order to get pay increases for the amount of work that they're putting in um they managed to like on average get i think almost 80 percent 75 80 percent pay increases for people across the board because they worked on a direct action model um that like kudos to the CWA for being willing to do direct action solidarity based organizing because yeah. a lot of people aren't willing to do that. Um, besides, like my like my my branch of the IWW um, uh, has done has done this as well as other IWW branches. But more than anything, like you, this is how much money they're making. This is what's happening in the world. The, the, this is like not even this will get them to stop. 
the only thing that gets like the po most powerful rich people in the world to stop is demands from their workers. We will not do any more unless you do X, Y, and Z yeah. and come to the negotiating table with us. And otherwise there will be consequences and you will just have to see. So there's no other way to look at it. These people are just fucking monsters. Yeah. Uh, and and frankly, um, unions that are that have been sort of afraid of uh, taking a more direct action oriented approach need to really clue into the fact that it's what gets the goods and that's it. Oh, yeah. And I think that needs to be the attitude in these industries like video games that have such low rates of unionization. Um, if you're going to go into it, you need to go into it fucking aggressively. Uh, and yeah, again. If there's anyone in that industry who wants to talk about that stuff, get in touch with with us because get in touch with yeah. the pod. Uh, and to the bastard of this week, the video game industry itself, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, big ol' fuck you. <laughs> we, I will organize your employees to come whip your ass. Um, just as Kay was saying, exactly. If, if anyone. If you're working at a place and it really sucks, especially if you're in the gaming industry, like you're not alone, like you have your coworkers, even if you don't have each other yet, it just takes time and militancy uh, and dedication. Um, that's it. That That's how you union organize. Anyone can do it. Not everyone has the determination because it's hard and it takes, sometimes it takes a really long fucking time. Sometimes things end up ramping up and it happens fast, but sometimes it takes forever and you have to be willing to make the choices that you need in order to do what's right by yourself and your coworkers. And I'm telling you, it's life-changing because it it makes you see the way that you look out for the people in your workplace in a whole different way. You, it's I'm not boss Kyle, uh, <laughs> after all. That's true. You are labor Kyle. Don't fucking forget it. I am. All right. Ooh, it's like that that was like my plug it was let's I'm that on everything let's do it if you want to follow me on youtube and twitch and uh twitter um hopefully uh, by the time this comes out i imagine i will still be as nose deep in stardew valley 1.5 as i have been <laughs> and my plan is to um use that time productively to get back on twitch a little more um so yeah, I'm Labor Kyle over there too. It's been quiet over there, but people can find me and we'll play some video games. Okay, where can people find you? You can find me uh, at K and Skittles on Twitter. You can find my YouTube channel, K and Skittles, uh, where I make video essays. You can check those out. Uh, I also stream as well on Twitch, and you fucking guessed it, man. K and Skittles. Yeah. That's where you'll get me. Yeah there's like there's a there's a category of objects in the world that having uniformity across platforms in your handles is it's like you know a, a sweater that sweater that where the sleeves fit you perfectly yeah the best time to wear a striped sweater is all the time one with a collar All right, that's it. Goodbye, gamers. Uh, that's it. I don't know. I can't think of anything funny to say. All right, bye. Bye.
All gamers are bastards. Ah, ravioli. Ah, mamma mia.